Good evening and welcome to People of Note on Classic 1027. I'm Richard Cock, and every Sunday at this time from 6 to 9 we talk to someone who is a person of note and listen to music of their choice. My guest tonight is someone who's known to many of you, uh, Peter Dirk Ace. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to have you on the program. You were on the program many years ago, but it's lovely to have you back now. I was at your your latest show, which is called... When in Doubt, Say Darling. <laughs> <laughs> which is, has a whole lot of meanings to it. It so, does. Yeah. It's very th- the theatrical use of darling. Uh, the, as as one sketch says, the dangerous use of calling somebody in the supermarket darling, and she says that's sexual harassment, so you don't do that. And of course, I live in a place called Darling. Yeah. Um, and it, it, uh, the show has many stories from the experience of working with the kids in Darling, and it's and it's been a wonderful window to open for my audience who aren't used to actually listening to positive, exciting things that work. I'm so used to telling them about things that don't work, so it's a nice change. Yeah, because people love to find all the negative stuff that's going on and they love complaining and so on. But there are actually wonderful, good stories coming out of South Africa. Oh, I think the stories are the whole heartbeat of the country and my life. I mean, theater uh, and drama are based on the stories. I will say that protest theater was very important, but very boring. It was over in three minutes, you know, free Mandela, free Mandela, then dance again and Amandla Amandla and sweat on the front row of white liberals and then start again. But a story needs a beginning, a middle, and an end. And, and it's lovely to actually have time to do that on stage. And uh, I saw your show, and it's going, I think, to Cape Town. You're going to the Fugard? To the Fugard in Cape Town in August for three And actually, weeks. August is just around the corner. It is. Because we're nearly in May, June, July, August. You're there. Yeah. No, yeah. everything is around the corner. Yeah. I mean, at my age, everything <laughs> is around the corner. <laughs> yeah, we're almost round the corner because we're, well... I can't say we're a similar age, but we're sort of close in years. Uh, but I, your show was was actually poignant and and lovely. I just I really enjoyed it. I'm glad. Lovely yeah. is a good word. I don't usually yeah. get lovely. You know, people say very <laughs> very very. You know, you grab things and you you. It's sharp and it's satirical. No, but I think it wasn't actually. It I mean it was in in some aspects, but it was just it was gentle. Yep, I found it gentle. I have good. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad for a change. Um, you see, it all started last year, the year before, when I did the the memoir, "The Echo of a Noise," which came out of nowhere, sitting on stage for ninety minutes on a bar stool and telling the story of where I come from. I never thought I'd have the guts to do something like that. Yeah, and um, that's a story on its own. It's a story on its own, but it also the feedback was was extraordinary. Where people said we just love the pictures. I said, but there are no pictures. They said, no, the pictures in our mind, and that's the imagination of theatre. The audience does the Hollywood in the in the mind yeah. thing, and you know? also the magic of radio, where and it's all radio, in the mind. Yeah. where the pictures are better than TV. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's listen to your first choice, which is Mimi, and you can talk to us afterwards. Lady Berger noch zur blow. There's a whole story on its own. She is amazing. I mean, she was a very young singer, and my father accompanied her at a few of her early recitals, and that's where Pa got to know Mimi. Hannes Ace. Yes, my Pa. And when Pa and I were in Vienna in 1966, 
uh, to, at the opera, and it wasn't Mimi on stage. It was Christa Ludwig and Elizabeth Schwarzkopf. I mean, hello, in in uh, the most wonderful Strauss Strauss opera. And there was Mimi in the in the in the, in the bar in the in the interval, and she just said in this wonderful voice, "Oh, what is Hannes and Hannes?" And I mean, and I just have fallen in love with Mimi. All my life, just because I think she is such an extraordinary energy. And when I was living in London, and for four years I was there till 1972-73, the reason I came back home is somebody sent me a cassette of Mimi Kurtz's singing Burelikis as a joke. And she sang Burelikis and Huleriba. And you know, I cried for two days, packed my bags and came home. So yeah. she's my she's my talisman. Talisman. And isn't it interesting how those things happen? Because I remember I was uh, living in England for eight years, and actually at the end I I studied for one, and then I worked for seven, and after seven I knew I had to come back. There was just something. I mean I don't know what happens. Probably something similar to this. Something happens. Something happened, and uh, it said come home. Yeah. Well, I just thought you know I was trying to be English. Mm. Hello, darling. Hello, Peter A.C.E. Hello, Peter A.C.E. Hello. But, you know, you suddenly realize that trying to be English is sometimes as impossible as trying to be black. And I thought, yes, like a high do. And it went just at the right time when the Space Theater was opening in Cape Town. Yeah. And so that was the rest of my life. And those, there were some amazing people involved in that space theater, too. And it was an unusual space, literally. It was a dangerous space because it was against the law. Everything we did break, broke the law. We allowed black and white people to sit in the audience. Yeah. It was against the law. We allowed black and white actors on stage together. That was against the law. We could, we could focus attention on forgotten places like Robben Island and ban terrorists like Nelson Mandela. That was against the law. Um, we were naked on stage. Some of the others broke that law. Um, and it was really the beginning of my courage through humor, because the one thing we did was laugh at our fear. Did you st study drama at university, or did you just fall into it? No, no. Well, it, it, it chose me. I was going to be a teacher. And then I went to register at the UCT to be a teacher, and I ended up registering to be do a BA drama, and my father just went, hit the roof. What the bloody drama? Come on. But really, truly, the theatre, uh, it chooses you. And it is life imprisonment without parole. So I've been doing that for so long. And then I was, of course, at the drama school where they said to me within the first few weeks, oh, Peter, we don't really think you're an actor. You don't really have the talent. So become a stage manager. So I'm a qualified stage manager who acts, who writes, who buys the dresses and wears the dresses, but always the stage manager. But there were some amazing characters in the in the drama school at that time because it where was it it was at the labia somewhere in hidden hitting hall in the hitting hall campus yes. yes next to the gardens next to the uh, the wonderful the god uh, the trees and the, uh, the, uh, the squirrels squirrels used to walk across the stage of the little theater and there was rosalie van Gogh, who was just so extraordinary in her eccentricity she always used to talk like that oh the boys get you up and inflection down and inflection and she's the one who eventually said to me one day when i'd really been lazy and smoked cigarettes and going out with boys and girls and drinking and she said you know you're very feeble you've got no talent you're wasting your parents money you go and get a job get away go away and about five years six years seven years later when i won an award the three leaf arts award in cape town for adapt or die and she gave it to me the award afterwards i said professor van Gogh, you won't remember she said oh yes i do and it worked <laughs> and then there was robert moore marvelous mavis taylor Extra no, I was really blessed with and Helen Rosa, who was in the wardrobe, 
and it really made me understand that a colored woman in the wardrobe is not your maid. Your teacher, yes, your maid, no. Oh, she was great. Now, I was very lucky to be given some extraordinary lessons in life. Yeah, and I think uh, I was at the College of Music, and we had some really interesting people there, too, with the uh, Dulcie House with the ballet company uh, right next door to the College of Music. Yes. I, they were great days. I loved my time at college. Yeah, I yeah. think we were very lucky to just have the freedom of choice to choose where we wanted to go. And um, and I encourage this among the kids today. I go to drama students and drama schools, and the first thing I say is, um, who wants to be an actor? And lots of hands go up. And I say to them, the last thing we want is another actor. But if you are original, you will become Lady Gaga. You will become a superstar. Don't copy. Give us something that frightens us because you're dangerous and mad. Your next choice is by Puccini. E qual vi scegliete from Tosca, Maria Callas and Tito Gobbi. Maria Callas and Tito Gobbi performing their music from Tosca by Puccini with the orchestra and chorus of La Scala in Milan under Victor de Sabata. Now, there was someone interesting who sort of took the music. I mean, I, it's a bad image, but took everything by the throat and just shook it. More than the throat. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> I was a boy at school, and I was given by my godmother the whole box records of her Carmen, which I believe she'd never done on stage. She just did it as a recording. And I grew up with Maria Callas singing Carmen. My father hated it. My father said, She swoops and she's got nasal. She's have adenoids out. I thought, oh my God. So I had two operas. I had Maria Callas doing that. And then I have Leontine Price with Aida. And those were my two big opera things. Um, I just think she was such an extraordinary, I suppose, actress. Yes, dram dramatic what was she? She was unique. I she mean, was she unique. was yeah. that what I was saying to the drama students be original, un unique, and mad. And she, she really combined everything, everything she yeah. combined, uh, including love for a monstrous man who treated her so badly. I mean, I believe her glasses were terribly important. She couldn't see anything without these glasses. He threw them overboard. <laughs> so she was on the Christina and nothing made sense to her. She could have gone to China. She wouldn't have known because she couldn't see. She couldn't even see Aristotle. She couldn't. Maybe that was a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> now, but you come from a, a musical family because your dad, I know, played the organ. Yes. Hannes, and your mother was a pianist. Great pianist. Helga Basel. R absolutely yeah. extraordinary. Left Berlin 1936, came to Cape Town, met my father on the stage of the City Hall playing a Mozart double concerto, and they got married. They, they were two playing together. Yes. They were into yeah. Hannes Ace meets Helga Bussel and hello, one ding dong suddenly, you know, and I must thank two people for being here. One is Mozart and the other one is Adolf Hitler, because if it wasn't for him, she wouldn't have left Germany. That's a nasty yeah. slip, smack in the face. I was greatly, greatly blessed with with Mozart as my best friend as a little boy. And Tessie and I used to have our rooms upstairs and just listen to chamber music because mother, my mom and dad played in a chamber orchestra. Uh, and at, at home, at home, they yeah. used to rehearse there. And I, Schumann, Schubert, uh, Liszt, Brahms, Scarlatti, I just—they were so part of my oxygen. Just came wafting up the stairs. To set. this day, yeah. I mean, I live my life with the with the soundtrack. That's why I love your your radio station yeah. because it just gives me a, a happy heartbeat all the time. 
Well, here comes some music now. This is by Cesar Frank, Panis Angelicus. That was Panis Angelicus, Cesar Frank. My gosh, you know, I wanted to sing along because I sang it as a little boy in my father's choir. Because Which I was a boy soprano. In Where was that? In Cape Town. I even sang with the Stellenbosch University Choir. This little, I think I was 12, singing Panis Angelicus. And of course, they came with this wonderful... Under Philip McLaughlin, I guess. Yes, yes. absolutely. And I met a, 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 a... How can I say this? I met an old lady the other day who's probably younger than me who said that her mother sang in the choir and she was a little girl in the audience and she remembered it with me in my little short pants. Oh, remember you singing? Yes, yeah. yes. And uh, it was, you know, again, my father just did some extraordinary things. He, I think, well, maybe I'm wrong to say this, but he started the first children's choir that sang not Burelikis and, and, and Volkspieler songs. Um, we did some extraordinary German songs, and, and which he translated all the language into Afrikaans. We even sang very Catholic church music in the Dutch Reformed Church, and they didn't know because he would translate into Moy Afrikaans, Prachtig Afrikaans. And... And really, truly, uh, Laurie Karach was part of our children's choir. We grew up together, and she keeps on telling me how she just remembers that amazing chance that my dad gave her to sing solos. She had an alto, a beautiful alto voice. And Tessie also, a very deep voice. Tessie with me with a high voice, Tessie with a low voice. And Panis Angelicus. Fantastic. Actually, I love these memories. You grew up in Pinelands, didn't you? In Pinelands. Yeah. We grew up in Pinelands with the, with the little squirrels and the pine trees and Forest Drive and... And it's still, I drive through it every now and then. I pass our old house. I look at it. It's still looking great from outside. I believe inside it's been renovated. It's sort of a babetico sweaty Bloemfontein Baroque. But Pinelands has still kept that wonderful community feel. And uh, Patricia DeLille lives in Pinelands, just down the road from the from the shops and near to the old library where I used to go and get Angelique books. Uh, did you ever read the Angelique books? No, I remember seeing the covers, though. They the were slightly sexy. Slightly sexy they huh? were not in the children's section. I just smuggled myself into the adult section and get them out, and that also changed my life in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking to Peter Dirk Ace on People of Note tonight, and it's wonderful to go to hear his story and to find out uh, what made him who he is. Your next choice is Voter Kellerman with Nkosi Sikeleli Africa. A slightly different version of Nkosi Sikeleli Africa, that one by Voter Kellerman, who actually was on this very program last week. Yes, yeah. yes. And a fantastic, fantastic, oh, you know, one gets quite quite shaky inside when I listen to Nkosi Sikilele because during the 1980s I knew what it meant for me I also realized that it was banned I also saw the film Cry Freedom in London and I've got the soundtrack where at the end of the soundtrack there's this wonderful arrangement of Nkosi Sikilele and I remember in 1985 in the Nicomelan Theatre with a production called uh, 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 Free Mandela, the movie Free Mandela as one word because it was two words I wouldn't get into trouble because you weren't allowed to say that and we started it with uh, it was a sort of a send up of the whole idea of um, Donald Woods swimming a river to freedom and actually the river was dry but we leave that at that and um, I played various characters including um, uh, Richard Attenborough uh, and and I played, I played uh, uh, Joan Collins who in this film plays Winnie Mandela she doesn't realize that she's black until they give her the two black babies. And we started that with this rendition of Nkosi Sikilele. 
in the in that Nicomelan. You can imagine white audience suddenly hearing this. They knew this was dangerous music. They didn't know what to do. I was on stage as Attenborough with my back to the audience reading a newspaper. But I was listening. And some of them stood and sat and there was real confusion. We ended that show with a rendition of Die Stem von Südafrika and suddenly they had the same feeling. Now, do we stand? Do we sit? Do we, what do we do? So I tried to get Nkosi into all my work in some other way, even if it was just whistled from the wings, as well as the ANC colors. Not that I was doing flying a flag for the ANC, but I hate it when somebody says, you can't. I want to know why. And they never told me why. How did you get into satire? What, what drew you into it? And, and how did you start off? Do you know, I think I was just wanting to pee off my father and irritate the duomeni. I was childish beyond words. I thought this is going to really make them angry. I thought making the Bruderbond angry was good because they might have heart attacks and die. And they did. And then I only realized the power of this extraordinary way of taking the fear of reality and sort of twisting it round your little finger so that people actually laugh at the things they don't want to think about. So that's where I stumbled into that minefield. And they did, because in in the days gone by, Nat ministers who were then sort of in control of South Africa used to come and watch your shows and watch themselves. Well, there was one specific minister, Dr. Pit Kurnov, who really... Pit Kurnov, thank you very much. Pit Kurnov, who had a wonderful face, these huge ears and the long nose, he looked like a reject from the Walt Disney shop. I mean, with a face like that, you had to do him on stage. And, of course, he was Minister of Homelands, Minister of Black People, Minister of all those areas that really, truly didn't need a, a white man to tell them how to live their lives. And there was a lot of material that needed to be outed. He liked what I did. How's that for a shock? Bad for business. You don't want your target to sit in the third row <laughs> and be heard to laugh louder than anybody else. And he one day said to me, he actually invited me to lunch. I wanted to take my father, but my father said, I'm not sitting at the table with those people. And so I went on my own. And Pete Kurnoff said to me, he said, yeah, you know, Peter, <coughs> it's all very well. You're making fun of me because satire is a very good thing. You know, <laughs> I think it's very funny and it's very shocking. And but, but, but uh, mo most of the people in the government want to stop you. But I just keep on saying, no, no, no. You know, he'll grow up and grow out of it. But look at me. Look at me. Who in the cabinet would do a better job than me? We went through the list. There was nobody. He said, my life has always been the choice of two evils. Wow, that's pretty shocking. So there was him, Pick Buerta, of course, after the event, like after joining the ANC. Oh, no, Peter, you know, I was always a great supporter of you. I used to slip in when it was dark, so nobody saw me. Of course, we all do that. But um, I think the reason I was relatively free to get on with what I did was wearing a dress. I think they were terribly confused by this woman who looked so familiar because Evita is everybody's mother, everybody's aunt, everybody's wife. And she used to write letters to the minister of police saying, why didn't you lock up Peter Durgais in not doing your job? So anarchy was my, my password and my PIN number. And it's been a long time. You've been doing this for how many years now? Nearly 40 years. That's amazing. It's it's extraordinary. It sometimes feels like 10 minutes, but it's not 10 minutes. And you're still going strong. 
I am still going strong as long as you've got the health and as long as you can remember more or less the meaning of what you want to say. You can't always remember the words, but the meaning is the important thing. Because before your current show opens at the Fugard in August, you're off to London. I'm going to the Soho Theatre in London for three weeks, beginning of June, with, with my memoir, the, um, the Echo of a Noise, which is what I did in the last few years. Again, something completely different. And um, the booking has been unbelievable. I'm only there in June, and already they've sold two-thirds of, of the season. That's pretty amazing for me. I'm very excited about that. And I want to know who goes to it. Is it South Africans? Just let's listen to a piece of music because this is this is the piece that that runs through a lot of your work. This is the the actual version of the national anthem with the Bonnie Suduma choristers and the Soweto songsters and the National Symphony Orchestra. That was the Bonnie Suduma choristers and the Soweto songsters with the National Symphony Orchestra conducted by Mzilikazi Kumalo performing the national anthem. That's the sort of official version, uh, which has woven its way through so many of your mm. shows. But I was asking you about who goes to your shows in London? Is it expat South Africans or is it Londoners? Who who goes? Well, you know, in the old days, obviously, it was expats because my audience was there. And that's where I played in Kosisikile and we all sang and we all knew the words. My audience today is yeah, of course, people with a link to South Africa, people who have known my work in London because I've been in and out of there since 1985. Quite a few young South Africans who are now working in London. There is quite a lot. You can't use poop and cock on the underground because they understand. You can't do that anymore. But mainly it is an audience, you know. I am just very, very unjudgmental about the people who come to me. When people say, oh, for example, sometimes in South Africa, foreign people who come to my show say, but it was just white people. I said, what do you mean just white people? Well, I mean, there were no blacks. I said, what are, you, what are you talking about? It's freedom of expression, freedom of choice. Whoever wants to come can come. Um, sometimes there are more people who have got blue eyes than people who have got brown eyes. But I really don't count them off on my hand. So, yes, there are. There are obviously some and some very good friends of mine who will support me. Janet Sussman is a great friend of mine, and she's always there, and she's a great supporter. And she's the first one to say, Darling, you, you used that joke last time. Don't repeat yourself. Clever Janet, she's right. Yeah, yeah. And one needs these uh, friends to keep you on track. Absolutely. And, and I'm sure over your life you've had many good friends. I've had some wonderful people who've been my sounding board. Um, I'm very careful in the theater of compliments. Oh, darling, it was lovely, darling. And I know they weren't even there. It's like the critic going to the concert and giving it a bad review and the concert was changed to something else. That's happened. But I really need that feedback. Um, very often, some of the reviews you get are charming and sweet. Some are terrible, but I love the terrible ones. I put them in the toilet. Um, but there's very often something that people say, and I think, oops, yes, thank you. That's something I have not concentrated on. I've got to fix that. So that's important for me. Yeah. And and one, of course, needs that to keep feet on the ground because too often, I mean, I also, you know, I do a lot of concerts around and, and you sort of start thinking that it's all going well until someone does say something. And then, you know, you think, gosh, maybe this concert was too short or whatever it is. Well, you know, now yeah. in this new South Africa, this new, this very new alphabet of acceptance, I don't want to use the word political correctness, but that's part of it, especially a new generation of young people who were who were basically 
born intellectually after Nelson Mandela came out of prison, so they have no idea of what it was like to be illegal in, in a fascist society, who are now saying to me, no, 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 you mustn't do blacks because you're white. And I said, what are you talking about? I'm a performer. That's what I do. I, may, I do them all, male, female, and convertible. No, 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 it's, it's, it's racist. It's racist. Well, okay, the hashtag brigade are busy. One doesn't want to do too many lines crossed, and racism is something I just do not want to get involved with. And yet one has to focus on it in some way. So I've got to find different ways, meaning, yes, one has to reinvent even after 40 years. Hey, Scarborough Fair. Absolutely beautiful. It is beautiful. And it was, what, popular in the 60s? 60s. Yeah. I used to sit in a little steakhouse in Cape Town, which allowed us students to come in. We didn't have money. But sometimes when people left their meat and didn't take it for the dog, we would get it. <laughs> And there was a boy with a guitar, and he played all the Simon and Garfunkel songs and sang. And that was probably one of those crossroads where I thought, maybe that's what I should do. I am musical. You know, I can muck around on a guitar. Why don't I focus on that? And I didn't. Sometimes I'm sorry, because I love the idea of telling stories through songs. Um, but I just, that specific song has always been with me for forever. And, um, and it certainly did enter a whole world for millions of young people, a world of, of truth and anger and protest because it was Vietnam. I don't know how far we as young people were involved with fights against apartheid, but certainly it was happening among students no, around me was. in those years. Um, yeah, and that steakhouse was just great. It kept, it kept us kept us angry and excited. And there was a little place, uh, I don't know if you remember it, in Mill Street, there was a sort of folk club. That's what, it was that one? It was that one? Yes, yeah. it was that one. I can't remember its name yeah, now. Yeah, because I remember going to see Des and Dawn. Des and yeah. the crack of Dawn and Des, yes. <laughs> yes, that was the one. It was exactly that. It was the most beautiful. And, and the ballet company, uh, Ruth Ackerman, who was just one of the most beautiful women in the world, was such a great friend of mine, used to take me there. And I was so thrilled just to be seen with this beautiful ballet dancer. Um, yeah, that's part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all these uh, things that we used to do uh, when we were at university, and certainly there were lots of protests around that time, uh, you know, people standing around St. George's Cathedral, if you remember. And I I've, still, I've still got the photographs. I collected all the news cuttings from mm -hmm. that time because a lot of the, the people standing on the front line there were, you know, fellow students of mine. Um, and uh, all there was a lot of drama going on in those days. There was, yeah. and there was with the sit-ins at UCT, which meant that we sat at night, all huddled together in the darkness, which was quite fun. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't worry about the politics, but it was fun. <laughs> now, what about your next choice, which is Stephen Sondheim? Now, here's a man to be reckoned with. There was also somebody that changed my life when I suddenly discovered this incredible ability to tell stories with songs that were not tunes songs that were anthems but they weren't political they were actually political people political and funny and inventive and uh, there was company which was this great musical that i remember tessie and i saw in london in in the late 1960s early 1970s which i think changed my life which was like really truly who's afraid of virginia wolf on roller skates and, I mean, I have been so closely allied with everything Stephen Sondheim has done to this very moment in his 80th plus, plus, plus years. 
Um, and again, I think the, the Send in the Clowns, which is just a great anthem. I use it when, when I do Bambi Kellerman, Evita's sister who sings cabaret. She sings it as a tribute to her sister, you know, Send in the Clowns, because they were both clowns and they still are in my chorus line. So, yes, I always choose Sondheim. What a nice, crunchy voice. Elaine Stretch. Wow, what a lady. I mean, there's a documentary out on her, which you can actually get from the video shop. Woo, extraordinary. I mean, yeah, the ladies who lunch. I even saw Edna Everidge do it once in a show at the Barbican, and that was extraordinary. Very brittle, very, very harsh, and yet so recognizable. What a story. Yeah, and clever. Uh, Stephen Sondheim was brilliant with words. And and people seldom associate him with the music as well. He wrote some amazing music. Amazing music and amazing words without music. When yeah. Bernstein did the music for West Side Story, yeah. he did the words for West yeah. Side He did the words for, for, for Gypsy, those marvelous words. And, and this year being, I think it's the centenary of Bernstein this year. Mm. So uh, I've been doing a medley from West Side Story. The music is so fantastic. Also, I mean, that's not Sondheim. That's and Candide, you do a lot of that too. Love that overture. Yeah, Extraordinary. Amazing stuff. You're listening to People of Note on Classic 1027, and my guest tonight is Peter Dirk Ace. And we're going to listen to his final choice for this hour, which is Doris Day, Everybody Loves a Lover. Everybody Loves a Lover featuring Doris Day. It's just on seven now, and we're going to take a short break. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to People of Note on Classic 1027. My guest is Peter Dirk Ace, and we just heard Doris Day. I can't believe she's still alive. She is still alive. She's 90-something, and um, she's looking after animals. She's always been extraordinarily loud about animal welfare. She was an extraordinary friend of Rock Hudson when nobody wanted to go near him because of AIDS, OV and AIDS. And I just think her whole career was this this blonde who became so powerful in Hollywood in spite of the fact that men didn't allow that to happen. Um, and she just stayed young forever. Do you remember how they used to shoot her through six stockings? <laughs> we used to put. Somebody said you must put. Um, uh, you must put. Uh, 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 what is it? Uh, baby oil. Baby oil. Go to bed with your body covered in baby oil and you stay young. As Doris Day. I didn't think that worked. I tried it. Not nice. <laughs> now, <laughs> you you talked about um, uh, Rock Hudson. You had a lot to do with AIDS education at one time in South Africa. A lot. Yeah, it was. Well, I mean, the awareness of AIDS started in the early 1980s when I was in New York and somebody said to me, they found this terrible plague among gay people. And uh, I thought, I don't know what that means. I don't know where it is. But I'm sort of in that area. So where do I go from here? Then I came back to South Africa. Nobody knew about it, talked about it. Uh, and then it became much more serious. But the the real crunch came for me in early 2000 after Thabo Mbeki became president of South Africa and suggested that HIV did not lead to AIDS, which was just so wrong and so frightening and so confusing. And I thought I was celebrating democracy since 1994. I mean, obviously, apartheid was gone and I was like, you know, it was a different ball game. 
I suddenly realized that apartheid was the first virus in my life and HIV was the second and I have got to fight my own fear of it. So I thought, how do I do this? How do I do this? I can't do this. I can't make speeches on stage. People don't come for that. Let me go to schools with an entertainment because the kids haven't been there being the minefield of sex. Ha ha. Hello. I learned that lesson very quickly, but really, truly, it changed my life because with this hour's entertainment, it was called For Facts Sake. I love hearing the principal saying that quickly and then getting it wrong. And, the, you know. and I would entertain the children just with, with the fear of death. I mean, the fact that sex can kill you if you are not informed about what to do. In those years, nobody talked about it. And so it was a very important work in progress. It developed into something very strong. And I think I went to over one and a half million kids Amazing. in the time that I did it. I still meet young people, sometimes not so young, who say to me, oh, man, you came to my school and you told us all about this. And it, it stayed with me. And look, I'm still alive. So that was extraordinary. I still do it, actually. I still do yeah. it. Not specifically about HIV. I also do it about rape, about... <sighs> About, about serious, respect, serious about matters. voting, yeah. but with humor. Yeah. Always there. Very important. And here comes someone who also died of AIDS, Freddie Mercury and the famous Barcelona. That was the famous Barcelona by Freddie Mercury, sung in a South African version there, Hundley Starplard, Joseph Clark, the Joburg Festival Orchestra and the Drakensberg Boys Choir. That was from a recording we made some years ago. And Peter Dirk Ace, who's my guest in People of Note, was a great... Uh, AIDS campaigner in his time. But also you've done something else which is important in your life, which is to create a whole world in Darling and around Darling. Well, and I'm talking about the place. Now. The place, but, yes. Yes, well, the name, Darling, it's just extraordinary. People say, where? I say, Darling, yes, Darling, where? I said, no, in Darling, Darling. I live in Darling. It was, I wasn't meant to go there. I took a wrong turning in 1995. I ended up in Darling. I bought a house that was just derelict. I mean, nothing makes sense. I think it's the best mistake of my life. I can't explain to you and why I'm there. you've been extremely happy there. I have been extremely happy there. I have started a little theater in the old, in the, uh, in the old railway station uh, with a little museum slash nauseam. It has a huge amount of reminders of where we come from so we can celebrate where we are going. Burassic Park has got little statues of all past, past monsters and I've got place waiting for Cecil John Rhodes and um, Paul Kruger and uh, Queen Victoria maybe. Yeah, they, sh they should be going cheap soon. Of course they should. They should come to me. I look after them. Um, and of course we have a very, very exciting relationship with our community, especially with the kids through the Darling Trust. We have an early childhood development center with 70 little hojas between the age of three and five. I mean to watch that is a life-changing experience. We have a swim pool. We've built them to get them to swim during the day, and then maybe they don't have sex at night without condoms. You know, all this has to go towards safety and future. And, um, and every day is just another lesson in don't expect change to happen in a minute. We are so impatient. We want South Africa to be perfect in our 23rd year of democracy. No. It'll happen after generations have left with their prejudice, my generation with its built-in prejudice. But we can start laying the foundation stones to a democratic future for, for the youth. 
But it's not only that. There's also a Darling Festival now, isn't there? The Furkamer Fest, yes. which has been there for 11 years, remarkable. Were you part of that? Oh, also? my goodness, yes. Wim Fisser, who is my impresario in Amsterdam, he and his wife, uh, Inge Boss, brought it to Darling uh, 11 years ago. And... Um, People come to the Peron, they leave their cars, they go stand in a queue with their tickets, and the tickets are colored, blue, green, orange, red, and white, meaning they have three stops on each route. In the community, they go into somebody's house, that's where the entertainment is. Two of the three stops are in former disadvantaged communities where they sit and watch an entertainment and then go back to another house in a taxi. I mean, the whole thing is such a wonderful example of reconciliation and uh, we had to cancel the last two years because there was no funding but this year i've um, been determined but come hell or high water i've got half the budget i'm looking for the other half of the budget to start it back on track 31st of august 1st and 2nd of december Fuerkamerfest dot darling um at uh, um what is it dot org oh god just look in the or dot co dot or dot org dot dot co dot it's all there it's all there <laughs> so wait for it wonderful choice wait for it from hamilton this extraordinary musical on broadway a hip-hop musical have you heard it no you haven't seen it no you know many people say quite sort of quite like no like, no, no, I don't go, uh, I, I, I'm uh, quarantined, I haven't been injected. It is so different, and yet it is so familiar, because we've all done that. We used to do hip-hop and rap at s drama school for voice exercises. So when I hear that happening, I am also very aware of hip-hop and, and, and rap takes tremendous concentration. These kids who look like they've just stepped out of a drug den, no. They've got to be so sober to get those words out properly. And um, this wonderful Miranda, this wonderful um, composer, I think he's done everything. He's conceived of it. It went through enormous amount of different productions on Broadway and has actually captured the world. It's now in London. I don't think we'll see it here, but I hope somebody's been inspired enough to make our version. Let's have a version. You want to have a musical about... Winnie Matisgela Mandela, let's do it hip-hop, let's do it rap, let's see what happens, because rap was part of our life. I just want to go back a moment to your Furkama Fest. Yes. Just for our listeners' sake, it, it lasts for how long? Three days. Three days. Just give us an idea of what the budget is for those three days, roughly. Well, the budget is 800000 which and is which is remarkable yeah. for a festival of that import. Yeah. And it runs over three days, just in Darling. Just in Darling. It happens around the Peron. It happens with the taxis, 21 taxis that take people to the different th uh, theatres, quote, homes. Um, on the Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock, the 60 artists, we have 60 artists who perform in this festival. Um, so on your route, you will have entertainment from three different artists, sometimes two or three, sometimes a chamber music, sometimes dance. Oh, it's it music is, as well. Oh, it and is uh, a yeah, complete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the young people are involved. You've got somebody in your taxi, maybe 11 years old from the community who tells you the story. I was born in Darling and that's where my mother used to live when she was still in a white area, but it was a white area. And so she's not colored there. So you have all that marvelous texture and 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 humor and fun. Um, th uh, 300,000 
rand of that 800,000 rand budget goes to the performers. That's the most important part of the budget. I've got that. I've got that and I've got another 100,000 to look after the venues. Now I'm looking at another 400,000. So if somebody on this list on, is listening and their ears go red and they know that they've got a few bitcoins lying around, they can send it. But the point is there is so much excitement. There is so much s- support across former lines of separate developments, meaning that this is the most wonderful example of reconciliation. Look, I've always said, and I say it again, I want to use the F word to fight fear, and that word is fun. And this is a fun festival. So there you are, listeners. There's a sort of challenge to you, if you like. Uh, if you want to help uh, Peter Dirkes with the Fuhr Karma Fest, then this is where you have to write to him. Write to me, PDU, Peter Dirkes, PDU at evita.co.za. And that's where I am. Wow. Another great musical. Another great voice. Another great Another voice. great history. Uh, extraordinary piece of where we come from. And there was a, a rebirth a few months ago of King Kong which I thought was very exciting and very important to have it here now. Um, I hope it travels into the world because it is also a story that reflects many other people's fears and um, disappointments when it comes to politics and people. Isn't it amazing that it took 50 years to get it restaged? It did because, well, frankly, it was rights. It was who held the rights and where are the... Where are the documents? I mean, in those days, we didn't do those things. Uh, it also needed tweaking. It needed to actually bring the story into a modern fast forward, which is where we are. We don't really have the luxury of spending three acts with two intervals. We've got to get to the car chase and then get out of the car and chase on foot. Um, but the music, uh, and then again, Maria Makeba singing that song, which also... It's a song that I discovered in London from a record I found in one of those wonderful little record shops in Camden Camden Fair. Um, a wonderful piece of music, a lovely, a lovely idea of the back of the moon, which I think much of South Africa was for a long time. <laughs> it certainly was. Now, uh, we're going to play this next piece, which is a concerto for three pianos by Mozart, or the slow movement from it. And then you've several times you've mentioned Tessa, your yes, sister. Yes. And perhaps you can just tell us where she is now. But here comes Daniel Barenboim and Vladimir Ashkenazi playing music by Mozart. Wow. That was Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, concerto for three pianos in F major, K242. And you know, my and my ma and my sister played that on the stage of the city hall amen and I can't even remember the year but I was small I was still in my short pants Tessie was 12 or 13 14 15 I was 16 in short pants yes my voice hadn't broken yet oh that was terrible my voice wouldn't break I thought oh my god did it slide down well no I just stared at myself in the mirror and said break your donor break 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 but there we were I was sitting in the balcony with my two grannies and Tessie and Ma and Pa played with David Tidbold conducting the orchestra and I knew every note because I used to transpose everything to middle C. I preferred the white notes. I didn't really care for the black ones. And it was so important for me to just share that moment with my family having shared their terror, 
the terror that they had about performance. I went backstage before the concert. I couldn't recognize them. They were pale and strained, and they, it smelt of r- burnt rubber. And I think that's where I decided I will never allow myself to die of fear before I live on stage. And Tessie, as long as I can remember, Tessie just went through the most terrible fear before she performed. But she's still performing. She's still performing, but I think the fear doesn't go away. No. The fear doesn't go away. And I kept on saying to her, Tessie, it's fine. When you're on stage, you're in charge. You are. She strides on. She leaves the fear behind. Yeah, and she's always glamorously dressed. Glamorous, because yeah. she knows that's also part of it. And she sits there, and she just goes for it. And then afterwards, I say, but, but uh, you were so scared. She said, really? Really? No. No, no, no. So it's part, maybe it's part of the foreplay. Maybe it's part of that. I don't have that. I mean, people say to me, are you nervous? I say, no, I'm excited. Excited means I can do it. Nervous means I can't do it. Listen, the feeling is the same. Yeah, and I think because I also don't suffer from nerves on stage, and it's something, maybe we can just discuss this, it's something about the energy from the audience. It is. Which you can channel through yourself. It is. I certainly feel that. Do you stand backstage close to where the audience sound can be heard? Absolutely. I'm on stage about 10 minutes before yeah. I need to be there. I'm behind the curtain and I hear the noise as they walk in sometimes and then they if there's an enormous amount of noise of chat, that's good. If it's a silent audience, you think, oops, what happened out there? Has the world ended? And you can take that 60% of energy and give them 40% back or take that 40% and give them 60% back. But it's a unity and it's an ensemble and it's live. That's the whole point. It's live. I also like walking. Maybe you can't do this, but I like to walk around the foyer before the concert just to hear the chat and to, to greet people because many of them come to lots of events that I do. And just to get a feel for the vibe that's going. And the vibe definitely changes from concert to concert. Yes. And I'm sure you know that audiences change from night to night. From too. night to night. I, that's something that I find hard to understand. What is that that changes an audience? There's a sort of group vibe. Sometimes they don't react. No. And you think, what have I done wrong? And then you overdo it and you actually mess up. I, I, I don't have an answer. I don't no. have an answer. I just respect it for what it is. It is them and me it's not us it's them yeah. and me and you walking around the foyer you lucky thing i can't do no, that no, you see but yeah. when i did a show called um an audience with peter dick ish uh and some theaters i needed an interval because peter turin said i want to sell booze in the bar I said, no, no, that's fine i couldn't agree with you more but i i don't like intervals personally because it makes me drop my energy a backstage and also the audience you've got to pick it up so what i do in a case like that is i say to the audience now listen it's we've done an hour i think you all want to go and have a drink and i don't i want to go to the loo and i'm coming out to the foyer with you so i go out with the audience and then i actually walk around and that's why i get that extraordinary feedback of their energy and their enjoyment and and i feel then like and then i say i'll be back after interval and after the second half we can do selfies and maybe I'll be back as Evita. And that's also nice because then it takes you into their lives and they take you home with them. Yeah, and, and you can also wind up the energy a bit you when can. you're wandering around. Yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. I wish I could do it. I love this when, yeah. when people in a church, the, the priest is in the, in the, in the, yeah. at the front door shaking your hands. You know, yeah. you know, brother, 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 did you enjoy that? And you didn't put enough money into the box. You know, all that. <laughs>
No, it is. Uh, I find audiences a really interesting part of our whole operation. But it's. Also, I mean, they're such an essential part. But it's also so part of the way we develop as as performers. The kids who start today, they look at uh, at idols on television. They look at, you know, America will win. All these marvelous sort of push the button ten minute fame concerts they don't realize that even those young artists have got to practice for a long time to do to present what they do and i say to them you know don't think it's going to happen in 10 minutes i've been doing this for nearly 40 years i'm not there yet hopefully i will get there before i fly to 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 irritate the, the, whoever up in heaven or in hell but really truly it's it's not something that you can say oh well i'm going to do it tonight because it's perfect never perfect but nearly perfect Ute Lemper singing Kurt Weil from the Drei Groschen Oper Zee Raube Jenny. Well, just extraordinary. I mean, Kurt Weil and Bertolt Brecht also so part of my theatre upbringing. Well, and probably Sir, Sir left Brecht. Berlin at more or less the same time. Very as much your the same time. Um, and I have always looked at Kurt Weil as my sort of alter ego musically. Um, his music in America when he went there reflected the American need. His music in the Germany of the 30s going into that terrible car crash of Adolf Hitler just showed that car crash of music. It was totally out of tune, out of sync, out of chord, and it made tremendous success. And of course, Ute Lemper, who I shared a festival with in Germany some many years ago, when I was there with my, my uh, German show called uh, Neger Küsse, I can't even translate that into English. It's so politically incorrect. And I was in one theater. She was in another theater. And there was another wonderful, wonderful, crazy East German singer in the third one. And we all sat and, and had drinks together. And, and, and Lemper was just so powerful. And she was, she was really inspired by the Malena, Malena Dietrich and the women who sang the court viol. And she's now living in America and she's composing her own songs again with an American flavor. Um, and I miss the German. I miss that, 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 sh that crassness and that harshness. So, yeah, Kurt Weil, very important, very important to me. And also uh, a fantastic satirist. He and M musical satirist. Yeah, musical satirist. And, and, and of course, you know, Bertolt Brecht is a difficult uh, hero. Um, I found much of his alienation technique that we were brought up with at drama school is logic. Sometimes you want to remind your audience that, hey, hello, this is not, this is not Disney. You know, this is real. You did pray your maid. You treat your child badly, and you must actually go to the doctor because I think you're not well. And and Brecht did that all the time, reminding audiences. So one has to also adapt his way of of just. Uh, rattling the cage, which I do in my work every now and then. I want people to realize that this is entertainment, but there's also there's a strong message. There's also an echo of a noise there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And now your next choice is a piano, well, a piano duo, Nina Schumann and Louis Magalesh, both based in Stellenbosch now. And I'm sure many of these pieces you must have heard at home too. Did you have two pianos at home or just one? We had Mars Blüchner, which he brought from Berlin, and a little upright Yamaha. And then, but in the sitting room, we had Paz Feurich, Baby Grand. So that was his piano and that was Mars piano. And they played this um, Arensky. I was, I remember not sleeping until I heard them play the Arensky. Nina Schumann and Luis Magalesh 
performing a polonaise from the suite number one by Anton Orensky, the choice of Peter Dirk Ace, who's my guest in People of Note. And I just want to remind you of his email address. It's pdu, as in Peter Dirk Ace, pdu at evita.co.za, pdu at evita.co.za. You can contact him there. And remember, if you want to uh, put someone in touch with him about funding for the Furkama Fest in Darling, then that's also going to be fantastic if you can. And we've just got a short time to introduce your next choice, which is the wonderful Magic Flute Overture by Mozart. Do, do I detect a love for Mozart? Oh, total. Total love. And for that specific, extraordinary, I want to call it a, a feast of images. My mother did a production of the Magic Flute at the, uh, it was the Yechi Meiring School in Belleville, where she taught piano. And she, and then my father translated the words into Afrikaans, and I learned the whole of the magic flute by ear because I had a perfect ear. That's why I never practiced the piano because I played it with one or two fingers in, in middle C, in C major, <laughs> in C major. Um, so I just love this and complicated piece. I mean, this is like the Steve Jobs of music. Very complex, but gosh, this is Google as you see it at its best. That was the overture from The Magic Flute by Mozart, played by the Johannesburg Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Yasuo Shinozaki, the choice of Peter Dirk Ace, who's my guest in People of Note. And that's the program you're listening to on Classic 1027. It's just 8 o'clock. We'll be back after the uh, break now with music by Franz Liszt, played by Tessa Ace. That was the legend of St. Francois de Paul walking on the water. Franz Liszt, uh, the composer, and played by your dear sister. My dear sister, you'd see her at the piano doing that with those extraordinary sounds and just like chords and just hands and wonderful. I mean, it is Marvel Comics on the keyboard. It's just great. I love that piece. And it's wonderful that she's still playing because... Um, you know, it's it's tough in this music world now. It's tough. I mean, the, the the opportunities for solo performance are getting less. I think I I speak a lot to uh, performers, and there's a sort of limited pool of people who get a lot of work. Yes, and then a lot of people who get a little work. Yep, that happens in the theatre as well. Um, maybe it's who you know, but also it's what you know. And a great talent is a great talent. You want the best, you get the best. Uh, Tessie is still doing some extraordinary work with young people. She really enjoys sharing, um, giving back uh, young pianists who all sort of show the same rash of terror that we all went through. Uh, She works with chamber music. She also does crossover. She does African sounds. She will do Goldberg variations with drums. Um, and flute. I mean, she does some very risky and I think terribly exciting things. So it, it's lovely. It's lovely. Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, it's the bottom line. If you've been unemployed for all these years, meaning that's what we have been as independents, uh, what you do is what you do. And as long as you're healthy enough and not too crazy, you just do it. And And luckily for you and me and Tessa, as long as we are healthy, we can keep going yes, because there's absolutely. always opportunities to be made. And and I think you uh, have done exactly that. You found 
niches where you can fit in your talents? Well, I try and sp- spread it around. I try and have a menu for myself. I have a starter, a main course, and a dessert, and then it's sort of another dessert. I, I, write, I work on a play. I work on a novel. I work on a movie idea for a movie script. I work on Evita, meaning what must I not eat so that she doesn't waddle. Can you believe this dieting for a woman that doesn't exist? I mean, a psychiatrist could write a book about this. So I don't, I don't have something called writer's block. I've always been aware of it. And I now know what it is. It's ego. If your ego gets in the way of that message that comes through from wherever, you just am there as the messenger. You put it down. You, you, you put your finger down your creative throat and blah, out it comes. The next morning you are ashamed of the rubbish. But in that rubbish, there's this diamond, the beginning of the necklace of perfection. So it's tremendous a lot of work and a tremendous lot of, I suppose you've got to be, uh, you've got to kill your darlings. Isn't that what they say? Don't fall in love with too much because you might have to execute them on the way. And here comes a little gem too. This is a sonata in D major. There were many sonatas by Scarlatti. This is a beautiful one played again by Tessa Ace. Tessa Ois playing the sonata in D major by Domenico Scarlatti. The choice of Peter Dirk Ace, Tessa's brother. Peter, you talked about Tessa getting involved with young people and teaching and helping. What do you think is the state of theatre and drama in South Africa? Oh, it's a hugely important question, and I'm frightened to give a little answer here because there's a very big reason, I suppose, for the fact that the theatre is not doing well. I don't think we did our jobs in the years when we should have taken the alphabet of theatre to schools. I think at the moment our education system does not include drama, theatre, meaning communication as part of the curriculum. Um, We do not take theatre to schools in the old days, again, old days, dangerous, dangerous, but at least things that worked, worked then when the arts councils had groups of professional actors who took your set work, work, set work, plays and books and poems to the school and performed them for you. That, I think, was the beginning of my love of theater. We don't do that. Um, there's always, and I would like to say this very, very clearly to everybody listening, there's always a teacher at a school that makes life different for the child who wants to explore those areas. Thank God for that. But not enough. Um, my audiences at the moment are very much over 60 years old, uh, certainly very few under the age of 20. But then again, why not? Because young people have never gone to the theatre under the age of 20. We were always forced to go. So again, people must have the choice. We must just tantalize people, make it sexy. I will give you a wonderful quote I carry with me always. Ethel Fugard was asked, on television or on radio, but it was done from his mouth to our ears. Mr. Fugard, why do you love the theatre? You are so passionate about the theatre. Why? He says, because it gives me an erection. (laughs) Doesn't that put it all in a nutshell? What's the point if there's no erection? You know, so if we don't go into life with this excitement about what we do, the kids will go somewhere else because there are passions elsewhere. So to answer your question, why I don't particularly want to point a finger at why I just want to say there's a lot that we can improve on. Yeah, yeah, and and we are, um, you know, but we can do as much uh, teaching of young people through educational concerts and 
concerts for young people, but you can't force them to go in the end. No. They have to want to come. And, and I get a big kick out of doing concerts, as I'm sure you get a big kick out of being on stage. Yes. And I think it's that enthusiasm and passion that conveys itself to people. And if people see you being enthusiastic, they'll get swept along by it too. And we all know that when a young person, a child of 12, 11, 10, 9, is brought to a concert, to a show, to an entertainment, it'll stay with them for the rest of their lives. We used to go to the rehearsals. We sit in the rehearsals and of, of the Cape Town Orchestra, and that also gave us this wonderful sense of, I want more, I want more. Yeah, I want and more. I'm going to tell you a little story after this. This is the aria, the famous aria and variation one from the Goldberg Variations. You talked about the Goldberg Variations a little while ago in this program, and that was aria and variation one from the Goldberg Variations by Johann Sebastian Bach. Murray Pariah playing there. Amazing to think that that music was written and played by a man called Goldberg, but was commissioned for someone who couldn't sleep very well, and, and he wanted music to put him to sleep. So this was played sort As of on a nightly basis. The Valium. <laughs> the musical yes, the Valium. Valium. And it is not something you sleep through. No. It is not at all. It presses yeah. so many buttons. I, I seem to remember seeing Tessa play that for a ballet production, too. It could be. Yeah. It could be. It's, she's done a CD of yeah. that, and it's wonderful. It's a wonderful, yeah. it's a, it, it, again, part of my, my um, buzz track of existence yeah. is, is the Goldberg yeah. Variation. The story I wanted to tell you was that I, I still, I travel around the country quite a lot doing concerts, and you'd be amazed at how many people come up to me and say, you know, my first experience of orchestral music was Anton Hartmann, who mm. brought the SABC Orchestra to our school in 19 Futsack, I don't know when it was. Yeah. And it's amazing how many people can remember that very clearly and say that was their first experience of yeah. an orchestra. Well, we have little kids in Darling. We have a piano school. Uh, and Because the little ones come and say, what? Is that, a club? Is that a piano? They don't have a piano at home. They don't have a piano in the neighbor's house. Yes, it's a piano. Can I touch it? Yes, you can touch it. Doing, whoop, you get a terrible shock. So now they learn. They're about like one, nine, six, seven. They learn how to go. Ba, 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 ba. So every quarter we have a concert because the teacher said, I don't want them to be scared. Let them perform at an early age. So they have the grannies and we have the aunts and we all sit in the little, in the peron. And, some, and the great thing is sometimes we have the white Tani and the colored mummy sitting together. And in the old days, the mummy used to work for the Tani. But now they are sharing the excitement of this little child. And the little child comes onto the stage. Sometimes their feet don't even reach the ground. The little feet just wobble around. And they, you can see they're nervous. And sometimes they start on the wrong note. And they want to cry. So it means, no, 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 no. And then they go, ba, 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 ba. And that's it. Then we all clap. And we clap and they bow and they bow and we clap and they encore, encore, and they do it again. That's the beginning of the madness and the passion because one day they will do the Goldberg yeah. Variations. And perhaps this is the moment, in a moment, we're going to listen to another piece of music. And then I want you to tell the story of the young boy who came in to sing, which mm. you told us in your show. Okay. So this is, a, this is an unusual choice now. How much is that doggy in the window? <laughs> I'm sure lots of people sang that for the first time. Traveling along in the car, I remember singing that. Oh, How yeah. much is that dog <laughs> in the window? Bow, bow. 
<laughs> we used to sing that on Sundays when we did concerts for the grannies. Uh, Afrikaans granny and, and German granny and my and pa and sometimes an auntie or somebody there, cousin. And then we had a cat, a very fat cat that never moved. So we used to hold the cat and sing, how much is that cat in the window? Meow, meow. And of course, collect money for the SPCA until after my appendix had been taken out at the St. Joseph's Memorial Hospital by the nuns, the nurse nuns, whom I fell in love with, they were so sweet, I then decided and announced that the money was not going to the SPCA, it was going to the nuns at the St. Joseph's Hospital. And Omar Oost took her tiki back. <laughs> she was not giving money to the Rumse Gefaar. <laughs> it's wonderful. I'm so glad you could find that song. I love that song. Yeah. And funnily enough, I have a similar experience where I went, I was at boarding school in Port Elizabeth and I had to go and have my appendix out. And I can so well remember Sister Euphrasia. <laughs> it's such a wonderful Isn't it name. Wonderful? Isn't it wonderful? And she sort of took me on because I was away from home and I was in hospital in those days for 10 days. days. Do you remember that? Ten yes. 10 days. Yes. No movement. With the little bottle next to your bed with the appendix in it. No, please. I didn't have that. <laughs> No, no, I didn't have that. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know I could have that. Anyway, Sister I wish I had that. I'd keep that to today. I remember to today. But tell us the story of your young singer. It was the Peron. The Peron, the old darling station, needed a stage. This tiny little room. It's not a big room. But it had a stage. So there I'm on a Saturday morning banging nails into the thingy. This is 1995, just after we'd started the idea of it. In the door, I suddenly saw a little boy would cross the railway line from the colored community and he had bare feet. It was, what do you what Maggie? I said, what? He said, what do you do? I said, I'm building a stage. He said, why? I said, we're turning this into a theater. He said, why? <laughs> I said, well, we could do shows here and we could do, we could do, uh, we could do laugh and we could sing. Oh, you're going to sing. I said, oh yes. Oh, I like to sing. I said, do you like to sing? He says, yeah. I said, do you sing well? He says, yeah. I said, okay, come and sing. No. I said, yes, you can. Why not? It's just me and you. Come, do it. Come sing. Must I pay? I said, no. Do I get paid? <laughs> I said, no. And he came onto the little stage and he stood there and he sang. And it was horrible because he was so scared. I mean, you can't do anything good if you're scared, for heaven's sake. I mean, he wanted to start crying. I said, no, 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 don't cry. Said, come back next week. No, no, no. I said, yes, come back next Saturday. And he did. And he stood on then. The stage was ready. And he sang. And it wasn't as terrible. He came back the next Saturday. And every Saturday after that, it got better and better. And three months later, when we had our first talent show for the kids in our community, this little Hoha, in his barefoots, aged seven years old, came first with his song. And ten years later, when he was 17, he came second in the world in the London Trinity College singing exam. How fantastic. There you are. Dreams can come true, mm. even in Darling Darling. That's a wonderful story. And it's from Peter Dirk Ace, who's my guest in People of Note. Are there other darlings around South Africa? I mean, there can't be. It's, it's a one-off. But, but are there other places where things have grown around someone like yourself? I hope so. I hope so. For heaven's sake, it's... Look, nothing is easy. Anything that's easy, you must avoid because then there are fingerprints on easy. But I've said this to so many people who've come to me in Darling and said, we want to do this in our community. I said, well, do. They said, how do you start? I said, have you got good legs? Put an address. You can start like that, I say to the men. And some of them laugh and make notes. Um, there is all, always talent in a community. And I really want people to just relax and find it. You know, it's there. 
uh, the mother with the child, put the child on the kitchen table and say, sing for mommy. The moment they sing, you've started something. And take it very seriously because it's not a joke and it's not to bribe them with chocolates to do something. They must want to do it. And I'm sure there is enormous amount of talent being developed in small communities. There's always a music teacher. There's always somebody doing performances. There's always somebody helping. Churches are doing it. Communities are doing it in mother tongue language, in Kwaza, Zulu, Tswana, Sutu, Venda, Shangan. Afrikaans, which has its variations. There's Cape Afrikaans. There's Thrones Fall Afrikaans. And really, truly, I think this is the time to celebrate our freedom of expression by expressing. So, here comes, perhaps appropriately, Mad About the Boy. Noel Coward. Wow. You know, again, so often I hear him, I see on the YouTube, YouTube is just, is naughty. You start and you end up four hours later and you see Noel Coward just doing things. And that's where I hear my father's voice. You are going to be sorry one day that you didn't practice. And he's damn right. I am sorry, but you can't do everything. You can't make dresses, wear dresses and do presidents and, and play the, the piano and, and play the piano. <laughs> because the fact that he just sat there and he would sing these marvelous stories of psychological analysis of a nation. I mean, he was the psychiatrist of colonialist England. I mean, these mad about the boy, mad dogs and Englishmen, very significant messages. Uh, and we did, a, a Godfrey Johnson and I did a show some years ago called Noel and Marlena. Uh, he played Noel Coward, and of course I played Marlena Dietrich, you see. When Marlena comes to Noel, when Noel is pr practicing to do a show in uh, off-Broadway, um, and Marlena says, you know, this is a very good idea, Noel. I didn't know you could sing so well, but I, maybe I should sing my songs. And then Noel says, oh, darling, of course you can sing those songs. I mean, you have a voice that sounds like a bloody foghorn, but why not try? And have an excuse for actually Marlena to sing Kurt Weil. She never did. She never sang Coward. What a shame. And I think Coward, Noel Coward was again an example of what one talent can do to just celebrate every kind of talent. It was piano. It was voice. It was satire. It was comedy. It was camp. It was very, very serious. And it was symphonic in many ways. And it had a strong message. Oh, my goodness, yeah. yes. And Marlene Dietrich, you said she couldn't sing this and that, but she could sing Where Have All the Flowers Gone? Where Have All the Flowers Gone? Gosh, I remember probably hearing that at that same place in Mill Street. With, with all, the, with all the folk. It was a sort of folk music mm -hmm, venue, I remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm sure I heard it there. And Marlene Dietrich singing this at the time... Of Vietnam, she took it over from from Pete Ziga. I mean, she reinvented herself as an ex like a Joan Bias, a Joan Bias who couldn't say the letter R. Wah. She's a wah. where have all the flowers gone? And I just think it's a terribly important song uh, and the message in that. Look at Syria. Look at wherever we are in the world today. Nothing has changed. We want to know where have all the children gone? Where have all the people gone? Yeah, and and as you say, you know, there's there's always bad news around. There's lots of bad news around. But we somehow, out of all that bad news, we need to find the positives that there are. Because people love being affirmed in something good. And inspired to believe yeah. that, um, which I think happens when the children sing. When the children play and they're not frightened of traffic or police dogs 
or guns or bombs or chemical warfare. I mean, it's really, truly, I think the focus on the youth and the children is still the most important thing in the world. Yeah, and you, I mean, you look at the photographs that are coming out of all these places. Actually, it's the women and children. When I, I, I looked at all those lines of refugees, mm. there were just hundreds of children, mm. which seems extraordinary. They've walked, for God's sake, you know, hundreds of miles to get to wherever they are. And these kids are walking along there. It's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. And yeah. yet I am the child of a refugee, my mother yeah. from Berlin. Um, well, compared to today, she didn't have to go on a boat from Libya and nearly drown. But um, having brought her extraordinary alphabet of the Northern Hemisphere and the culture, I must tell you, I once had a DNA test done on me for, for a TV show some years ago, a DNA test. And the test proved that I originated in the Congo. <laughs> so I'm black. Isn't that wonderful? I keep on saying this to my friends in the ANC. Excuse me. Hello. Ich bin Schwarz. <laughs> and here, I mean, here's a, a beautiful song too. Harold Arlen, this song won uh, an Oscar in whenever it was, 19... 39, was it? Yes. Or was it an Oscar? Were the Oscars even going? Then? Yes, the Oscars were going. Well, this song won an Oscar over the rainbow, and it's been one of the standards ever since then from The Wizard of Oz. Judy, Judy Garland singing. Wonderful song from the fantasy Wizard of Oz. Harold Arlen wrote that song. It's been one of the most uh, covered songs in history, I think. And one of the great gay hits of all time. Yeah. I mean, the times that I've sat with friends weeping over Judy Garland song after song, film after some, and she was an extraordinary actress. I've got some movies of hers that I watch every now and then. I could go on singing the film she made with Dirk Bogart where he actually directed her in some of the monologues, and she was a fantastic actress, but my goodness, how the business destroyed her, which is also a lesson yeah. that I keep on, you know, I will never judge anybody in my business who stumbles into drugs and pills and booze because the tension backstage and the fear of failure is so huge that it just needs somebody to say, oh, don't, darling, don't worry, take this pink pill, you'll be fine. Of course you take the pill, and you are fine, but you never stop being that fine, and yeah. you destroy yourself. Because it's a flippin' tough business. Yeah. yeah. No, it is. Yours and mine. Mm -hmm. Music is, is a tough business. Mm -hmm. Toughing. Because you're there on show, and you, you only have to slip once. Yeah. Yep. One slips and then one suddenly slides and makes it yeah. part of the show. You know, yeah. you try and turn things around yeah. when you can, but sometimes you can't. Yeah. No, it is a tough business, but we wouldn't give it up for anything. Well, I don't know if I can do anything else, <laughs> although I think I can do everything else. Because yeah. if I can act it, I can do it. Yeah. You know, I mean, politics is act. It's all these people are actors. Teaching is acting. Teaching is acting, yeah. definitely. I, always, I told my children, because I think I, I was a teacher also in a prep school. And it was like a big act all the time. Well, they give you f five minutes, and if you don't entertain them, they will entertain themselves. Yeah. I know this with the schools. Yeah. i got to work so bloody hard because otherwise out comes the little the Google and the WhatsApp and the Upmine and in yours and all of that. And before you know it, you're giving a monologue to yourself. Yeah, mm -hmm. you've lost them. You've lost them. Yeah, because this whole business that you and I are in is about people, actually. And it is about parents. It's about grandparents it's about children and it's about aunties and uncles and boyfriends and girlfriends and now boyfriends and boyfriends and girlfriends and girlfriends and suddenly i am so excited that 
we have actually got so far in so many areas. And I keep on saying to people, yes, 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 make a list of all the things that you don't like about South Africa. And then make a list of all the things you do like. And believe me, your do like will be far longer than your don't like. Yeah. And and the reason that we have stayed here or come back here is because this place has so much to offer and is so wonderful. And the people are fantastic. The people are fantastic. And I've learned some phrases in other languages, not just English and Afrikaans. I have a Kosa phrase, walala wasala. It means you snooze, you lose. And I use it at the petrol station, and I say to the petrol gentleman, and he laughs for 10 minutes, hugs me, and takes a selfie because I spoke his language. (laughs) The pompiochi. The pompiochi. I love it. There you are. (laughs) And uh, appropriately enough, your final choice is from Funny Girl, and it's that wonderful song, People. What a star she is. Yeah. There's a people. There's a people. Yeah. People. That sounds feeling to sound like you now, people. <laughs> sounds like a no one wants to start the song. With the people. Oh, people who don't need people. Oh, my goodness. Now, Barbara Streisand, really, truly. Again, original, original. No fingerprints on her. Yeah. And that's the lesson. Don't copy. Do. Yeah. Just do. I've been talking to Peter Dirk Ace on People of Note, and I'll just give you his email address once more. PDU at Evita. PDU at evita.co.za. And uh, again, if you want to support uh, his uh, program, what what is it called, actually? The The Furkan Refis. Yes, but there's your your other project as well with the children. Well, then the people can um, go to the Darling Trust, the the darlingtrust.org. Yeah. And that helps the kid that works with the children. Darlingtrust.org or pdu at evita.co.za. Well, I hope you hear from lots of people. Thank you very much. And this much. has been a fantastic three hours. I've just loved it. And I'm sure uh, our listeners have loved you too. And thanks to Pitt. We all love him for helping us put these programs together. And of course, thanks to you, our audience of Classic 1027, because. Without you, we would be nothing. You are the people. The people. (laughs) (laughs) So there we are. I hope you have a great week ahead. And don't forget to tune in each weekday night for Full Works. And then next Sunday, of course, again, for People of Note. Thanks for listening and good night.